The following audio was originally recorded live and broadcast to the facilities of Trent Radio on February 4th, 2020. As always, I'm Justin Evangelo. This is Disenabled, the show where we enable people with physical disabilities. So happy to be back behind the mic, as always, on this great and terrific White Cane Week. For all who don't know, from the 1st to the 8th of February, uh, people who use white canes because of vision loss, who are fully blind or legally blind or just like it as a fashion accessory, don't do that. Uh, They are greatly celebrated this week and recognized for their usage of a white cane. Uh, Semi-fittingly, segueing into this, sort of somewhat clunkily, on the phone today I have a good family friend of mine, Gary Williamson, who has a couple physical disabilities of his own, and today we're just here to have a nice chat together, a little bit of a conversation, and uh, learn about his story that I think is somewhat resilient. So, Gary, can you hear us? Yes, sir. All right, you're coming in beautifully, nice and crystal clear on the audio, at least through my earbuds. So, tell us, like I usually ask of most of my guests, what are your physical disabilities in the plural? Well, I am visual impaired, which is I'm totally blind, and I have a hearing impaired problem, which I wear two hearing aids. Now, was this something you were born with that happened over time, or something else I haven't asked yet? Um, yes, I was born with it, but it was a slow process thing to carry on. It was it got nothing to do with hereditary in the family. It was just something that... Uh, my uh, bios- my mother that uh, didn't want us, and she took something to get rid of the baby. But instead of in a- bothering the baby, it interfered with my eyes and hearing. That's terrifically unfortunate. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, were you the only one affected by whatever medication or supplement your mother took, or did it affect uh, any of your siblings? Because I know you do have at least one brother, is that correct? Um, yeah, I do have another brother. He was also involved. He was older than me. But, I see. Um, when my father got divorced from her, because she wasn't a very nice person, and she passed away at a young age anyway, but, um, so he got married to somebody else, and, uh, He had three children for this other person, which I call my mom. And there were two girls and a boy. So they're brothers and sisters, but I call them my brothers and sisters because we all grew up together. Can you explain Mm -hmm. to whoever may be listening then what it was like to slowly 
lose arguably the two most important senses that a person can have in that hearing and sight, which, first of all, let, let's start with something basic. Which one deteriorated or degenerated faster, would you say? The eyesight. The eyesight, okay. Yeah. Now, how long did it take from birth to the present for you to go fully blind? Okay. To go totally blind, I was 48 years old. Okay. And for the hearing, how long did that take from birth till the present? I did have a bit of hearing problem when I was younger. Okay. But it wasn't nothing to be concerned about. It was going down. But so I guess I have to say the hearing came first. So it was um, uh, when I got into high school. So I have to say I was about 14 before I started wearing hearing aids. 14. All right. So you were just on the cusp of high school, more or less. Even when I went to school, I took them off, though. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't care for them, but, you know, I got used to them because I still had, it was just starting with the one ear, and I still had the good ear that I used quite a bit, a lot. But, um, you know, as I got older, I guess, um, oh, I don't know, maybe when I was in my 30s, I started wearing two hearing aids. Knowing that your senses were going to deteriorate and having to start wearing this hearing aid in high school, in grade nine on the cusp of it, were there any sort of huge figures that helped you transition to a lifestyle where you couldn't hear very well and you couldn't see at all? Were there any role models who not pushed you, but encouraged you to reteach yourself or adapt to things that most fully bodied people take for granted, like making the bed or cooking, things like that. <clears throat> okay, I have to say that uh, my stepmother prepared me for these things. That's why I call her my mom. Anyway, she uh, knew that I was going to have these problems. So she started getting me going to do things on my own. Because her in her mind, she said the parents aren't going to be around forever. So if you're ever on your own, you can do it. So she started teaching me how to make the bed. She'll make it, and then she'll take it all apart, and then I have to do it. Or do the dishes. She worked with me to do these things. She even worked with me to do the laundry. And if she said if you have different colored socks, pin them together and put them in the washing machine. Um, then the other thing she worked with me, it took time with the cooking. Right. So, and dusting and stuff like this, bathroom and, you know, and to this day I still do it. Just the way she taught you. Well, that's how you know that the lessons you have learned to adapt are definitely effective. Yeah. One one interesting thing that just came to mind, because your hearing deteriorated faster but not as much as your sight, did you rely more on your sight as your hearing was going a little bit quicker? Would you say learn not to read lips but to 
use your eyes more than than your hearing because of the need for the hearing aid and and you not liking it? That's the thing that I got into a bad habit. My mom got me away from it, and that was lip reading okay. because I didn't like my hearing aid. Yeah. <laughs> And I got so good at lip reading that I could sit there and watch TV with no volume. No, that's impressive. That's how I used to that. But <clears throat> my hearing aid is not like if I take my hearing aid off, I can still hear you, but you more or less have to be standing beside me. Okay. You don't have to holler, but I can still hear you if you're standing beside me. It's not the. Um, really what I consider real bad. But, uh, you know, I can still travel out in the streets and that and hear things going on and hearing the people and all this stuff. I mean, the hearing aids do help a lot. They help me hear better, which is good. But, you know, <clears throat> I just want to verify that, that <clears throat> I can still hear without them. But, you have to be standing beside me. Right. So you're not, it's not like a cochlear implant where you are fully deaf if you don't have any assistance in hearing. You do have a little bit of it even without your hearing aids, but yeah. it's very minimal. Did either of these physical disabilities impact your pursuit of future careers that you wanted to do or any life ambitions you had, especially? in high school when it's usually determined what career path will define your future, more or less? When I went to high school, I picked my course, and I picked auto mechanic because I like working on cars. I did a bit of it on the side just to see what uh, was involved in it. So I decided to take the course. My mom tried to talk me out of it, but, you know, when you're young, you don't. Right. Listen, you want to do it. So that's what I did. But as the years went by, I said to myself, well, I guess I should have listened to my mom because it didn't come in handy because when you get a vision problem, how are you going to work on the cars when you have to use this new electronic stuff, you know, for computerized and uh, stuff these um, sensors and all this stuff that's in cars nowadays. The old cars, it wasn't so bad, but not now. So anyways, and then I got different cars and end jobs, and some of the jobs I had a little accident, but uh, then I lost them. So then I ended up in the CNIB, and I started working in one of the uh, industrial shops, which was the boom shop. And... I gave them my diploma, and they looked at it, and they said, okay, we'll try to get you into the mechanic part. So that's what I did. As I got on at the CNIB, I became a lead hand and uh, did mechanic work, and I also did training for people to learn jobs. So, in effect, I mean, it's not exactly your dream job, but it's as close as you could get with the disabilities that you had. Did you find, did, did you like your job at the CNIB in the, in the position you found? Yes, I did. Mind you, the job was very hard labor, but I did because I was, it, <clears throat> I like working with people when I got to be in the CNIB. 
and I like training because I feel good if I succeed with this person, and which I try very hard, and I have done it. So that's why I became an instructor, so to teach people different types of jobs that we had there in the CNIB. So you were working in an environment where you're teaching people, and is it correct to presume that most of them, too, because they're working with the CNAB, have similar physical disabilities? Yes. Well, most of the people that I work with were either totally blind, or I had two people that were totally blind and deaf, so I had to learn a bit of the sign language. Okay. And then we had some people that had real good vision. So, you know, I work with all these kinds of people. So so it was a mixed bag, and that must have kept you on your toes then. If you're dealing with different people in different situations, you have to do use an assortment of social skills, especially n- not having the gift of sight, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And, and that definitely would have kept you on your toes, which is obviously what most people want out of a job. It is because you know some of these people. It, took, it depends on the mentality because some people took longer to learn the job, and some didn't. But uh, you know, I, I felt good about it because I was able to succeed in this. And you know, we all try to work together and be one big happy family. <laughs> and to, in a sense, you're giving back to people who who do and don't have physical disabilities with the people who are fully bodied that have great sight that you're teaching you're teaching them lessons and struggles that uh, of a person who has physical disabilities and then with those who already have the disabilities you're teaching them that even though they may not be fully bodied they're just as capable which is absolutely terrific was was or were there any case or cases where somebody just got so fed up and told you to go, you know, shove it somewhere because they just couldn't get what you were trying to teach them? Yes, I have come across a few of those people. And that's, um, how can I put it to you? Well, because of uh, their mentality, like they had the vision problem plus, they had um, something to do with the, the brain. It wasn't fully functioning. Like you've got three parts of your brain and only two is working and one not. Right. So, you know, I have worked with those kind of people too. And I've succeeded with a couple of them, but it took me like <clears throat> a particular job. If I were training them, they would, it would take a normal person, like a blind person, maybe uh, two hours to learn this job. Well, this kind of person that was more difficult to work with, but I tried hard to get this person to do this job, and I succeeded, and uh, it took me almost a whole week to get this person to do this job, and he felt real good about it. So, And this is the kind of thing I wanted to do when they were starting to shut the CNIB down. I wanted to do, be an instructor to help train people to do different things, but it didn't work. 
unfortunately. Is there anything, any sort of story then going beyond just the work floor where you helped somebody with a, a task that we may all take take for granted? If someone was struggling with something extracurricular would and, and you knew how to do it, would you assist them in doing that or yes i worked um, you know like a certain job that i did there too like um, i would um, try to get them to do some of my work to take some of the pressure off of me okay so they you know they um, it just worked out a lot of to try and do things to help these people out so that uh, well, I had about two or three people that I trained to take over some of my load so I wouldn't be tied down with a lot of work. <laughs> Delegation is always handy when when you know it's needed so you're not too too burnt out. Now, how long did you work for the CNIB? 35 years. And this is a little bit of a hot topic in in your experience not personally working there, but as a whole, from your perspective, is the Institute, did it get better or worse or more or less remain the same in the in its ability to help people who have vision loss or who are fully blind in whether it be providing them the right tools or teaching them different skills did, did it get, how was the quality impacted over those 35 years? Uh, the quality was doing good until they wanted to close the, the uh, shop down, which I was very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these people, they had their vision problems, like they live on their own or they live at home, but they're lower left on their home, and they rely on this kind of situation to get up in the morning and go to work. That sort of hurt me, but <clears throat> there was nothing I can do about it because that's what they wanted to do, and that was it. Yeah, and their their word was sadly, <laughs> unfortunately, law. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can say now is that there's not too much out there for them to do, especially the young generation, except for going to school and learning computers, anything like this. Um, there's no actual labor work that I know of, but there must be some kind of work out there, especially if you go to the United Appeal or different other programs like this. Um, there is also the... Um, I don't know if you ever heard of it, it's called Balance for the Blind. No, I haven't. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Okay. What is, they're they're um, a program that, uh, that works with blind people that um, teach them different things, um, uh, like computers and stuff like that. They do training stuff, too. Um, I guess that they're in a bind where they're, they want to learn, like, cooking or something, mm-hmm. I'm sure they would get involved in that. I don't know too much about it, but I do know that I was hooked up to it, that um, 
still do uh, technical support for computers. Now, these guys that are technical support with computers, they're blind themselves. So it, they help other blind people. So they'll go to their places and help them, or or they'll hook into their computer and do it over the phone, whatever the case is. Sort of like tech support for those who can't see. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Yeah. They deal with mostly any, well, all they deal with is blind people. Okay. Well, that's um no, that's a that's a that's a great thing because a lot of the times you're striving for equality, and if you have someone who can't see trying to help you who can't see, it's all it's almost relaxing in a way because they understand. Well, they try to at least understand what you're going through technologically, and so there's a an even playing field where someone's not telling you to click this or that; they're telling you hotkeys to navigate a screen you can't see. Because we have the screen readers on the, the yes. computers that people can hear. So, you know, it, it took me a long time to learn computers, but it, <laughs> it's a hobby for me now. So it gives me a little something to do. And, you know, I can get these uh, books that I can sit there and read and, you know, stuff like this. Uh, or music or whatever I want to do on a computer. And, you know, but the thing of the year now for electronic computers and stuff all that stuff now it's 99 of it's all computer stuff right and as you said before there's although senior citizens dominate people the population of people with sight loss you talked about there being not much hands-on stuff it's mostly technologically oriented towards people with vision or hearing loss now Mm-hmm. which which could be partially exclusionary. Now, one last question before we're running a little tight for time here. One last question. Is there anything you've learned throughout your experience growing up knowing that eventually you would have to navigate hearing hearing loss and total blindness that's kept you motivated throughout your entire life more or less do you do you live by any sort of mission statement that's kept you going kept your feet hitting the floor every morning mm. um, i'm not quite sure how to answer that one now <laughs> um well in order for me to keep going you're talking about me myself right yes personally okay well what keeps me going is my family. So, you know, I um, I do a lot around the house here uh, since I left work because you get bored sometimes, so you got to do something. So I became a Molly maid and um, do my things with my family and everything else, and it keeps me going. And I just, uh, you know, okay, there's going to be a lot of, blind people out there that's not doing anything and uh, they're going to get stressed out or depressed and stuff like this. The only thing I can recommend for them is that uh, do something. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't be stagnant. Yeah, like if you start feeling stressed out or depressed about yourself, try and do something. Uh, If you can, uh, read a book, go for a walk. Or if you're young enough, 
try and see if you can get some kind of work to keep you occupied. I know um, there's a few people that I know that um, I forgot their name because it's been quite a while that they work with computers and uh, they're working for Roger as um, technical support. But there is some things out there, but how much, I don't know. There, I don't think there's anything in the industrial stuff that a person can do. So, to sum up, don't be stagnant. Find something that you would like to do, if possible, and pursue it. Gary Williamson, everybody, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day away from your things to do around the house to discuss your journey with us, full of resilience, full of, well, inspiration because of the hurdles you've had to overcome. Thank you so much. Before you click off or tap off of this episode, depending on the device you're listening to it on, just want to make you aware that I've linked some resources about the CNIB's positive events of its history, as well as a dissenting research paper about its monopoly in Canada, sort of to get both sides of the story. I know the CNIB was a large topic that came up at the end of that conversation, so if you want to do further reading, feel free. I've also linked some employment and skill building resources for people who are blind and visually impaired in Canada. I wasn't able to find anything or any services provided that weren't CNIB for the east coast of Canada. But if you're in British Columbia, I highly recommend checking out the Pacific Training Center for the Blind I've linked their Canada Helps page, which has a pretty solid summary of what the center does and the services it provides. For some reason, I'm not sure if this problem is exclusive to me. As of the time of this recording, when I tried to access the training center's homepage, I kept getting an error message saying that I had been redirected too many times, and I tried with three different internet browsers so I can't in good conscience leave a hyperlink in my show notes that may not work. If you're in Ontario, I've linked Balance for Blind Adults homepage as well as a webpage for a couple of employment opportunities. One is an apprenticeship. When Gary mentioned Balance for the Blind, I'm pretty sure he was talking about Balance for Blind Adults. Almost 100% certain. If someone out there can find balance for the blind and show me that it's different than balance for blind adults, then I will be more than happy to correct it in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with me to talk about any of the resources I've linked below or about anything and everything else regarding the podcast or disability, you can do so by reaching out to me at disenabled.podcast at gmail.com. I've also got a Facebook page dedicated to promoting the podcast and other disability content as well. You can just find that on Facebook by searching the Disenabled Podcast linked below. You can also private message me there if that's more your speed. Standard fare for the rest of this episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to share it around. If you enjoy the podcast as a whole, feel free to listen to previous episodes rate, review, and subscribe to it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. 
Until next time, cheers. <laughs>